0: Part 10 of The Boy with the White Hair, written and performed by Nick Thurston. Sweet Stones of Ingar! cried Barbo, leaping to his feet. By the hooves! squeaked I. "'knocking my chair down a second time. "'Oh, bloody glazier!' growled Minka, shaking his fist. "'One of the front windows, which were the biggest in the house, had shattered. "'My brother had been very proud of them. "'When I'd first come in, he'd given me a detailed explanation "'of how he'd had to cut the lintel stones just so "'in order to give the glaziers the proper placement.' "'Well, don't just sit there,' said Eula, jumping up. The cat landed on the floor with a deeply offended meow. "'I'll go and get—' The rest of what she said was lost as she ran off toward the pantry, and another gust of wind rose, making a terrible whine as it blew in through the broken window. The flames in the fireplace guttered. Snow billowed into the room.' Careful, careful, my brother cautioned as I approached the window. Should have sprung for the damned iron glass. The shards of glass lay on the ground, looking to my eye like big pieces of sugar candy. Spirals of hoarfrost covered the outfacing sides. I started picking the bigger ones up and putting them in a pile. Gods, but that's cold, said Barbo who was standing beside his chair, still holding a mug of wine. Only the master builder had not moved. He sat, still as stone before the fire, gazing into the fluttering flames. Honey? Minka called over his shoulder. Honey, could you grab me? Can you hear me? He came over to help me gather the big pieces, but stopped halfway and turned again. Huh? "'Are you calling me?' said Yula, poking her head back into the room. "'I need the boards from the back room,' he said. "'The ones under the stairs.' Eula nodded and turned. "'Not the—' "'I know the ones,' she said. "'Not the long pieces, just the—' "'Ones we used for the coop, that's right,' finished Minka. "'And my hammer and nails.' "'Which?' "'Decking hammer,' said Minka.' Eula disappeared as a fresh gust rushed through the broken window, rattling the shards that still clung to the frame. Another few pieces fell into the room, tinkling as they hit the floor. Snow blew into my face, along with little bits of stinging ice, and I held up my arms to cover my eyes. When I lowered them again, I looked outside to check on Stuna. He and the other horses were clustered together, their faces turned down and away from the wind. He'd be all right, I hoped. There, throw the pieces in that, said Minka, passing over a basket. But I barely heard him. I was looking outside, beyond the horses, into the street, for I had seen something. The shadow. It was there again. Oh, that glazer, grumbled my brother, his breath coming short as he hunched over, scooping up pieces of glass and tossing them into the basket. Ugh. I gave him the exact dimensions three separate times. Still, he gets it wrong by an eighth. Write it down, I said, but no. That's why it's weak, you see, there. I had to put an extension on the frame and... My brother went on. I wasn't listening. That shape in the darkness of the wind-blown street unnerved me. Who was that, standing out there? For I could see clearly now that it had arms, and legs, and was no hitching post or way marker. "'Sorry, everyone,' he said, embarrassed. "'Come to the bloody builder's house, and it starts falling down in a little breeze.' I'll have this right in a moment. Honey, he called out. "Do You need... Coming, said Eula, turning the corner with the boards wagging in her arms. Finally, Barbo had the good sense to lend a hand. He put a few ineffective fingers on the boards as Eula carried them across the room. Put them here, said Minka. Just there, and I'll manage the rest. Got my hammer? Apron pocket, she said turning her body so he could reach it as she leaned the boards against the wall. God's butt it's blowing, said Barbo, as another gust tore through the open window and sent powdered snow streaming into the room. The flames leapt and danced in the hearth. The old master builder remained seated, watching. Let's get these up now, said Minka. Let me just... Oh, damn it, where are the nails? Outside. The sleigh was almost buried. Beyond, in the street, the shadow remained. Was it facing the house? Being so close to Long Shadow, the moons had still to rise, and the starlight was so dim I couldn't tell. Was it moving? Or was that just the snow? I leaned close to the broken window, peering into the swirling darkness. What was it? "'Hello!' said my brother. "'What are you staring at?' "'I turned to him, blinking, and then back to the window. "'But by time I was looking out again, the shape had disappeared. "'I could see nothing but the dizzying whirl of snow and shadow beyond. "'Nothing,' I said. "'We got the boards up. "'I held them in place against the frame while my brother banged nails into them.' three strokes each with the heavy, square-headed hammer. Barbo stood and watched. I think he was a bit drunk. Meanwhile, Eula went into the kitchen, and by time we were finished, she was walking back into the room with a tray of leftover cheese pies, still bubbling from the stove. We're saving the rest of these for tomorrow, she said, but I don't think anyone will complain if we finish them up now the crisis of the window dealt with, we all sat down again and had a good laugh, especially when Barbo engulfed a great gob of hot cheese and had to keep turning his head this way and that to avoid burning the inside of his mouth. Only the master builder did not partake in the cheer. He was still gazing into the fireplace, and I saw his lips moving as he murmured something to himself. Once we'd all settled in, and had refilled our mugs a third, or was it a fourth, time, Minka threw a few more larch rounds on the fire. By this time, my head was feeling rather fuzzy. The fire's renewed warmth spread throughout the room, only adding to my drowsiness. I couldn't help but yawn. Light the cob again, said the master builder. Eula had put it out earlier by covering it with a big jar. Since she was sitting with the cat firmly ensconced once more on her lap, I volunteered. I took a burning stick as a match and went to the table where the cob was sitting on a little stand they'd got for it. We'd never been able to afford a witch cob growing up, and I'd scarcely thought of getting one since— so it was one of the only times I'd seen one up close before. It looked just like an ordinary pine cone, except that the tips of each seed were long and pointed, resembling nothing so much as dog's claws. As the cob burned down, the rest of the seed would turn to ash, leaving only the shiny black seed stones. Witches' nails, these stones were called. Apothecaries cherished them, Each could be sold at market for a brace of ticks. I brushed the cob off with a cob brush to reveal more of the glazed amber sap covering it. I set the match to it, and a curtain of silent, wavering yellow flame came to life over its surface. The shadows fled deeper into the corners of the room. Now the old master builder turned from the fire. Slowly, carefully... He took in the entire space with his chisel-sharp eyes, pausing twice to look more closely at things I could not see. Once he'd made the whole orbit with his gaze, he nodded to himself and settled back in his chair. "'What were you looking for?' asked Barbo. "'I'm not sure,' mumbled the old master." as if not caring much whether or not he was heard. Now, let's see. There was a brief pause. The fire snapped and popped. We all leaned in eagerly. A figure was approaching him, suggested Eula, through the trees. A white figure, said Barbo. No, said Minka, not white. He didn't say white. Pale. Pale corrected Eula. And shimmering, said Barbo, the figure of a woman. No, said Minka, not shimmering. He didn't say woman, said Eula. Oh, come off, said Barbo. You know who it is. Everyone turned back to the old master. He rubbed his chin and started to speak. Eglas awoke to find himself lying on a hard cot, tucked against the wall in a single-room shepherd's hut. There were dried-out strewing herbs on the earthen floor and a grey stone hearth. The hearth looked as if it hadn't been used in years. He was not alone. Sitting on a stool near the cot was a hard, thin woman. She had extremely pale skin blue-black hair, and a pair of piercing, steel-colored eyes. Uh, who are you? he asked. She did not respond. Eglos drew a laborious breath. Are you a Sengir? Certainly, Eglos thought, this could be no ordinary woman. She must be a supernatural being. Or the shade of some Valamar princess. He tried to sit up, but the moment he moved, he nearly blacked out. Something was not right within his body, and he could feel dried blood cracking around the wound the caudruth had left on his back. His vision blurred, and he closed his eyes, wavering on the edge of consciousness. I am no Sengir said Thula, for of course it was she. Nor am I a spirit, on loan from the Middle World. I am something between the two, neither alive nor dead. I have brought you here to answer for what you've done. Stay awake! Thula waved a hand, and there was a loud snap, as if the air itself had cracked in two. A fine white powder of crystallized ice fell from between her fingers. In the next moment, a breath of chill air rushed through the crack underneath the door. It swept the powdered ice up to form a shimmering mist that hovered about her hand. She brought it towards Egloss. Led by her slender fingers, the enchanted zephyr wound itself down to his neck but she had not counted on his Yoki. At first, it resisted the spell. Seeing this, Thula snarled in frustration. Clenching her fist, she strained, and her magic fought that of the Yoki. A moment later, there was another loud snap, and the Yoki's invisible shield gave way. The frozen mist penetrated Egloss's collar and leaked in under his furs. He cried out as tiny shards of pure cold stabbed at his naked skin. You killed my beloved companion, she said, her eyes glinting with anger. Your, your companion, coughed Eglos. It was the only living thing still dear to me, said Thula. How do you answer this charge? The Kundu was your friend. Her eyebrows knit in confusion, and he saw that she did not know what he meant. What is that? What is a Kundu? Speak plainly. The Shivara. The monster. Again she seemed confused, but this time she took his meaning. Her face only grew more hostile as a result. Egloss's pain intensified. "'If that was your companion,' he said through gritted teeth, "'then it is true. I did kill it.' There was a moment of silence, during which Egloss could do nothing but writhe. "'But why?' said Dula. "'Why did you come here?' all the way up here, and kill my only friend. "'I slew the Shivara to protect the people of Evenhold,' he said. Thula let her hand drop. The stinging thorns of ice beneath Egloss's clothing melted in an instant. "'The people of Evenhold?' spat Thula. "'What care have I for the people of Evenhold? "'Those hoarders of luxury?' What have they ever done for anyone but themselves? Why should I care whether they live or die? They who hide in their warm valleys, who steal the precious things that come down from the hills and give nothing but hard words and close doors in return. Aeglos tried to tread carefully. He sensed that something awful had been done to this strange being, but thought he might ease her wrath with soothing words. My lady, he said, I know not what wrong you have endured, but they are not as you say. Perhaps some, but not all. Let not the actions of a few speak for the character of the many. The noble Thane Hafnir, who loves... How dare you speak that name in my presence! screamed Thula. In an instant, she seemed to grow tall and terrible. Her eyes flashed white with rage, and the air in the room hardened, becoming almost unbelievably cold. You utter the name of a murderer while lying on the very gravestone of his victim? There came a soft, whispering sound. Egloss blinked in horrified wonder as the atmosphere took on a surreal, hazy quality. It burned his throat. I... <sighs> Egloss coughed out, struggling to breathe. I did not mean... <sighs> May a curse infect that man, she hissed, and guide him swiftly into hell. Egloss tried to speak, but found that he could not continue. His throat had gone entirely dry... His eyes felt as if they were being pierced by tiny knives. He gasped in agony. Hearing this, Thula turned to him. A strange look crossed her face. His pain seemed almost to have surprised her. The next moment, she was her usual self once more, and the air in the room returned to normal. He is a decent man. Eglas said, when he could speak again. He loves his family, his people, and his land. I have seen him fretting and suffering for them. Thula stared at him for a long moment. He's the one who put me here, she said at last. She went to the door. You have been wounded, she said. Perhaps I ought to cast you back into the cold to die, like the lowlanders did to me. But here in the mountains, we honor the sacred duties of guest friendship. I will not allow you to die in my home. As soon as you are well enough, we will return to the scene of your crime, and you will stand trial for what you have done. Thula opened the door. A gale whined and screamed outside. All was white and grey behind her. She, too, was white and grey, all but for her hair, which whipped in the wind like the tatters of a silken flag. With her gaunt cheeks and imperious brow, she looked awe-inspiring, merciless, and enormously powerful. And thought Eglas as she closed the door. Beautiful. The next time Eglas awoke, Thula was kneeling before a tiny fire. As he watched, she placed a few brittle white sticks on it and stood back quickly, as if fire were something she did not know well and did not entirely trust. Her actions were tentative, almost clumsy. It was clear that nothing had been kindled in that fireplace for some time. Yet how, he wondered, could anyone survive up here without a fire? What wondrous, terrible magic had sustained her? As the tongues of flame prodded higher, a transformation began to take place in the little hut. Orange firelight washed over the grim gray boards and turned them wood-colored again. Cold blue shadows retreated to the corners of the room, and those that remained began to dance the pleasant, flickering mirror-dance of the flames. O Ira, murmured Eglas, mother of tenderness, maker of the hearth-fire, and keeper of the four walls, Pass your embrace about this home. Thula looked up, surprised. She had not heard a hearth prayer like this one since before Mulad's death. He had used to speak such prayers on the coldest nights of the year. Breathe warmth into our refuge, continued Eglas. Pour the wine of peace. Stop that, snapped Thula. "'Do you think I don't know what you're doing? "'Here we pay homage to Siren, and to Siren alone.' Eglos fell silent. "'He would not tempt her wrath again. "'But the prayer had done its subtle work. "'The hut was warmer. "'Not only had the temperature increased, "'but the very sense of the place had changed. "'When Thula set a pot to boil,' Even the sound of its bubbling was a balm against the chill. Now, said Thula, if you're going to heal, you'll need to eat something. She looked slightly embarrassed. I don't have much, but, well, wait a moment. She went outside. Through the frost covering the hut's single window, Eglos saw her blurred form as she stood with her arms outstretched, gazing up into the sky. He could hear her speaking, but could not make out the words. All of a sudden, there was a feeling of great gravity, as if things were being pulled by an undertow out towards where she stood. The little fire guttered. Then came a series of cracks, as of ice breaking, and Egloss gasped. Something was rising from the snow. The cracks grew louder and louder. He could not see well through the frosted pane, but he made out arms, legs, and an enormous trunk. Up the thing rose, until it stood twice and more Thula's height. Then, as quickly as it had come, the feeling of gravity disappeared and Thula walked out of sight. The creature from below the snow thumped after her. Presently, there came a crashing sound, and the walls of the hut shook. When Thula opened the door again, a towering humanoid shape was standing behind her. It had long, powerful limbs, and was made entirely of dark green ice. For a head, it had a massive elk's skull, complete with a great, fanning rack of antlers. Its eyes were empty sockets. In its arms, the creature held a gigantic block of ice, in which were suspended a number of oddly shaped black forms. At a gesture from Thula, The creature lifted the millstone-sized block above its head as if it were nothing but a sack full of down. Then, in an incredible display of raw power, it cracked the piece in half. Shards of ice exploded in all directions, and a handful of the little black forms fell into the snow. Thula picked two of these up and brought them inside. They were, Eglas now saw, frozen rabbits. She put them on the hearth and then waved to the great skull-headed being. It strode away, descending into the snow as it went, till it had disappeared. She shut the door. What was that thing? said Eglos, staring wide-eyed. And oh, then... She said, "An ancient being drawn from the world below the ice, how oh, with the song said Thula, and fell silent. Eglos was soon to learn that Thula had many servants born or summoned from the essence of the frozen land, and turned to her bidding. There were delicate, translucent birds with wings of ice that sailed on the gusts and brought Thula news of what happened in the nearby mountains. There were mysterious kurags with blue eyes and coats of rime that brought her gifts from the crags and high valleys. And there were Nirni, like our Nirni down here, but born of mountain, snow, fog, and stone. These, of course, did nothing. But all the same, they were good company to Eglos as he lay resting on the cot in Thula's tiny cottage. And as Eglas began to recover his strength and to walk briefly in the white lands about the hut, he encountered many other wondrous creatures. He saw dwarves, shy and retiring, "'guarding the entrances to their mountain fastnesses "'or shoveling snow away from them. "'They peeped at him from beneath furrowed foreheads, "'their beards and bushy brow hairs all caked with ice. "'There were ice sprites, gay and whimsical, "'that played among the snow-shrouded groves of larch, "'cedar, birch, and pine. "'And there were other, more fearsome things.' tall, lean, two-legged things with horns that stalked in the grey mists at the edge of sight and whose eyes were predatory and alien. From these, Egloss knew by instinct to keep his distance. He was learning in this mountain realm that his education provided by the Veilgarth had been woefully incomplete. For the most part, Eglos remained in the hut, resting. At first, he spoke little to Thula. She came and went, sometimes disappearing for hours at a time. He never knew where she went or what she did, for he never asked her, and she never volunteered anything. But she always kept a few sticks of wood beside the fire and left enough food for him that he did not starve. Slowly, the wound left long ago by the Codrith began to close, but he was far from good health. One night, after Eglas had been there about a week, he woke in the midst of a terrible coughing fit. It felt to him like something was trapped in his lung and needed to come out. As he sat up, trying to gain control of the spasms, Thula rushed to his side. She whispered a few hurried words, and a light flared to life in her hand. It came from a piece of ice, which she had carved or chipped facets into. It resembled a big jewel. She breathed on the back of it and pressed it to the wall above his head. The ice jewel stuck there, shining brightly. By the light of this crystalline lamp, Aglos saw her face. To his surprise, she looked terrified. Her eyes were wide, her brows knit with concern. Could this be the same woman he had first met? She was so entirely transformed by her worry that he scarcely recognized her. Was she worried about him? It's... (gasps) Eglas struggled to speak, for his heart went out to her, and he wanted to dispel her fear. "'It's all right. Just... just got to... "'Shh,' she said. "'Don't try to speak.' "'To Egloss's even greater amazement, Thula now put her hand between his shoulder blades. "'She sat with him for a few long moments as he fought to draw breath in between convulsions. "'Then she whispered a few words that Eglas did not know,' and he felt a coolness sink into his back beneath her palm. When it began to harden inside him, he panicked, fearing that the unnatural touch would seize about his heart and kill him. He tried to pull away from her, but Thula held him firm and rubbed his chest, and he looked into her eyes and knew that it would be all right. After a few more moments... Egloss coughed up a clot of something thick, hard, and dark. Once it was out, he felt much better. There, he said, gasping and lying back. I think I'm all right now. You can breathe, she said. Yes, quite easily. He lay there, just breathing, with Thula sitting beside him in the eerie blue light. He felt her slender thighs against his own. When he had first encountered her, there had been such a chill surrounding her that he felt it whenever she drew near. But now he felt the heat of her flesh against his own, and even through the fabric between them. Thank you, he said quietly. For what? She snapped. Whatever softness there had been in her face was gone, hidden anew behind the bulwark of her contemptuous gaze. And yet... You helped me, said Eglas. You didn't have to. You don't know anything, said Thula. Now sleep, foolish hunter, and recover your strength. For soon you will be well enough to leave and make your way. Something fell, cold and wet, upon his arm. It was the ice lamp. Thula looked at it with apparent surprise. In a furious motion, she plucked it up and hurled it into the fireplace. It shattered into a thousand pieces that shimmered, flared, and then went out. Without another word, she opened the door to the still, dark night and left. As he drifted back to sleep, Eglos thought about what it all meant. Had the ice been melting?